You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic Summer Camp. We've been planting for about seven years. So, so we were 10 years in Copenhagen Vineyard with Fleming. And uh, then I think he got a little bit tired of us and sent us away. And so we planted Odense Vineyard. And so, I, do you know, when you put a title like this, How to Plant Healthy Growing Churches in Secular Europe, and then after you have uh, sent the title, you realize this, could, uh, this is probably a bit of a mouthful. And I'm not sure I have the answers. So um, what I'm going to share with you are just, you know, um, I mean, obviously, this is a huge, huge topic. And um, I also work with church planting for our Nordic movement. And if some of you, I know that some of you are already planning to come to the church planting school in November. We have a church planting school, a training, uh, the last weekend of November. And I would, I would really uh, encourage you to come to that if you are thinking about, seriously thinking about planting. And, and even if you just want to, um, you know, if, like you, Bjorn, if you want to just uh, get more into what we're doing and stuff. So, so that would be the, the longer sort of how to and get more into uh, the practicalities of church planting. So this is a huge subject. But what I'm going to do today, I'm just going to share a few of the learnings that we've done at, in planting. And I'm going to share a little bit more of our background in, in the church that we've been planting for the past seven years. But just to let you know, our church is not a big church. It's a church of about 100 people. Uh, a lot of them, you, if you haven't seen them at the camp, you probably heard them during the <laughs> meetings. Uh, and and many, of, uh, many of the people in our church don't have a lot of church background. Uh, a lot of people have met Jesus through our church plant. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they stay at church, that they you know, stick around. So we've had this, this a lot of people coming and going. But we have a really good church, wonderful team of leaders, and we really... Uh, we have a sense, after doing this for seven years, we just have a tiny sense that maybe we're kind of starting to know what we're doing. Uh, and we actually have a feeling that, that the next couple of years we could grow quite a lot because we see some foundation in going. So people often ask me, how is your church doing? So th- that's the short of it. That we've been going through many changes, we've been trying to figure this out as we go. It almost feels like planting in the city we're in. It's one of the most secular cities, even in Denmark, which says quite a lot. Uh, that it's been kind of a, an ongoing research. It's kind of a lab for how do you plant in this you know, secular context that we're, I think, all a part of, and some more than others. But I'll get back to that. Is that okay? Yeah. So I want to share, you know, please feel free to, to ask, ask questions along the way, interrupt me. I'm going to share. I'm trying not to do it too long. I want to have time to, to just chat at the end and just have, you know, ask each other questions and maybe some of you guys can answer what I can't answer. Um, but this is what I want to talk about. So uh, let me just do the first one here. Click. So for me, this is this topic. I, I, I really look forward to having this seminar because this is what I'm always talking about. I'm always chatting with my leaders. And, and finally, I get to talk about it for an, an hour. Sorry, Pia. I'm very soon. I just my mobile No stress. Uh, so um, actually, when I started to get a calling to be in ministry, and I was 16 when I first time had a calling to be a pastor. I've always had this frustration because I saw in Denmark, most of the churches were not very large and they were, more importantly, not growing. I, didn't, I never saw a lot of people coming to faith in when I growing up, maybe just a few. And at the same time, I saw other places in the world, you know, we would always hear about 
America or China or you know wherever South America and things were just crazy and, and so many people coming to faith and a lot of my friends you know some of my best friends they left Denmark when I was 20 years old and they haven't come back yet they're just out there in the world doing missions and, and stuff and I always had this feeling that it has to be possible to do church here in Denmark it just has to be possible and um, to be honest my my first experiences of that have, were quite frustrating and I I tried some things when I was in high school we actually did a lot of stuff and some of my classmates came to faith and we saw some good things happening but I also had a lot of disappointments and what happened was in 2001 when Sarah and I were just married I was 22 she was 19 we decided to move on from the church that was sort of my church when I was young and moved to the city to Copenhagen and at that time I was quite like yeah you know I was quite tired of church I've seen all the churches here in Denmark, you know, I was 22, so I was extremely wise. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. And then some of our friends invited us to the vineyard. And this was the quite early times of the Copenhagen vineyard. It was just a small church, maybe 60 people there, and we came on the Sunday. And that's the time when I felt, you know, I actually had this feeling when I had been there for just a few minutes. I felt like this is maybe could be what I've been looking for. Because I thought, you know, I felt very welcome. I loved the worship. I loved the preaching. But I also felt this very important effort. I could actually bring my friends here. Mm. Do you know? So I immediately fell in love with the vineyard. And then it's been a long journey of getting healing. The first year and a half, I just, I didn't do much else than just go to prayer and weep at all my, you know, stuff, all my hurt and all that and get healed. And then go into leadership and then later into pastoring and then later finding a church. Um, but even, I will tell you this, please talk, you, you can't tell Fleming this, okay, this is a secret. No, I'm just kidding. It's Danish <laughs> humor. Uh, but 10 years in Copenhagen Vineyard, it was amazing. The church grew from about 60, 70 people to over 500 when we left. So it's an amazing journey. And, I, and, and also being part of that, sort of being on the staff, being sitting next to Fleming and all those meetings and all those things and all the decisions of how we how he managed this growth. He's a very amazing leader. And, and I, still, to this, I still look very much up to him and, and listen to him. But I'll say one thing, actually, is that we didn't quite see as many new believers as you would hope for. There was a lot of people coming to church. I would say the most part of the church that came together were, were like me, kind of hurt Christians. Maybe people had left church when they were in the teens. But they came back and they found this living relationship and purpose and started growing in their faith, which is amazing. What we call, what I would call prodigals, that's amazing. But we didn't see that many people that had no church background coming to get to know Jesus. Of course, we saw some. And when I say not that many, it could be as many as fifty in that time. But I'm just and some of them are like over 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 ten years. Yeah. Maybe 50, maybe 100. I don't know. Fleming would probably say high numbers. I'm just kidding. Uh, but so, And some of them are here at the camp. Some of them are my very good friends now. And, you know, so I'm just saying, but I'm saying in terms of my dream of what church should be and, and also thinking if church really needs to change this country, we need to see a lot more people come to faith. Would you agree? Mm, yeah. So um, that's one of the things when we planted the Odense Vineyard in 2012, one of my big feelings was we need a church where, I mean, my heart is for those who have absolutely no church 
history of church background, have no idea who Jesus is or what it means to be part of a church. Those are the people that's always on my heart first. So we went to Odense, and Odense is a city of about 200,000 people. Uh, it's in an area of the island of Fyn and the other small islands of about 500,000, the region. And there's about 35,000 students in the city. So it's a, it's a very sort of uh, fluid city. A lot of people coming and going all the time, and you can sense that a lot. It's also, even by Danish standards, and I want to say that, is, you know, there's a lot, uh, if you look at Norway, Sweden, there's a lot more church going on than in Denmark. I don't know if you realize that. But there's a lot more big churches, a lot more, you know, you, ha- you guys have Bible belts. You know, our Bible belt is pathetic, wouldn't you say? Sebastian, you, you're from the My Bible Belt, you know. It's it, it, people and about uh, maybe uh, almost a thousand people go to church yeah. every Sunday. So that's, so, so that's, that, but that's completely unusual in Denmark. So that's in the West, West Coast, West Coast. But just saying, in, in even by Scandinavian terms, there are a lot, a lot fewer churches in Denmark, a lot fewer Christians. And even by Danish terms, Odense is the city that all the Christian students avoid because there's nothing going on. So, of course, for me, that was a motivation. I thought, that's great. We'll go there. You know, I felt like that's, that's the place to go. I, I, I sometimes, going to bed at night, I've regretted that. But, but, you know, I mean, later, it's like, oh, this is quite hard. Uh, so I was talking to one guy um, uh, last year. I talked to a leader called um, John Mark Comer. Maybe some of you know him. He's a pastor in the U.S. He's in Oregon. And he's been... You know, it, this is just like a funny anecdote, but he was talking about, he's talking a lot about planting in secular uh, context. And he, his message was, when he's preaching, he's like, you know what? In our city, in Portland, Oregon, it's so secular. It's like so post-Christian. It's like so only 7% of the people go to church. <laughs> and I was like, wow, John, that's amazing. Because in our city, it's definitely less than 1%. I'd go to church on a Sunday. Definitely less than 1%. So, this is not... Uh, and this has some implications. And this is why I've realized that planting in a city like that is different, even from Copenhagen. Very different. Mm-hmm. So I'll go on to explain a little bit more about that. Missional church. I have uh, another uh, secret that you can't tell anyone, which is that even with our vineyard DNA and our vineyard values, the things that are that consist that, that we are built vineyard on. Even if we have a church that has all those values, we will not automatically see growth. Or we will not automatically see people come to faith. So so I hope you hear me right. I love our vineyard values. That's why I'm in the vineyard. I feel at home. And I, I love how people who join the vineyard say it feels like coming home. It feels like I've always been vineyard, and now finally I came home. You know, have you ever heard someone say that? Yeah. I hear people say that all the time. So I love what we do as church. But just, let, just to say, just doing a church and just doing it with the vineyard values will not automatically grow the church, and it will not automatically see people come to faith. That's what I found. We need, actually, more than that. We need some strategies beyond just what is our common values. And... I think um, that is, and especially what, as, the, as the context we're in becomes more and more secular, that becomes more and more true. We need strategies for how to reach the world around us. Uh, one church growth expert, he's working with church planting and church growth in all of Europe, I can't remember his name, I'm sorry, but he said 
that the destiny of the European Church will be will rely on its ability to transform into missional churches. And what he means by that is there are lots of churches around, including vignettes, that are not really reaching their city. You know, it's basically the same people in the church as it was five years ago and ten years ago, except for those that move and those that get born and you know. Or maybe a few Christians that shuffle around. Except for that, it's basically the same. They're not actually missional. And if someone who's a non-believer comes into the church, the chance that they will come to faith and start growing and become disciples is not maybe very big. It's not a huge, it's not a huge chance that will happen. So he's saying if the, the, the destiny of the church in Europe relies on whether we manage to become a missional church. And a missional church is a church where people come and meet Jesus in such a number that the church will actually grow and will expand and will reach the city. Right? So what does that mean? And uh, I've tried to, of course, there's a huge implication. There's lots of books written about this. Um, I just, I've been thinking about this recently, um, that when we talk about church growth, and you know, growing the church, sometimes we make it really complicated. Sometimes it becomes so complicated, and you're like, there's so many things, and there's the natural church growth, and we have like eight different things we need to have quality on, and, and there's so many details and, and so many f- philosophical solutions to this. But I, I've thought about this, you know, if you think about church growth for a minute, and especially uh, whether people are, are Christians already or not, it's always about the individual person stepping into your community what do they experience right yeah. it's, it's actually you, whether you have your church is two people or a thousand people it's the same thing if someone steps into the in, in the door into the building or into your home it's it's the same for everyone what do they experience yeah and I have come to the conclusion uh, in all my wisdom that there are two things that that person needs to experience if they are going to join your church. Two things that will make them come back a second time. <laughs> you know, there are, two, there are two amazing... I'm always looking, you know, when people come the first time, obviously I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware of what they experience, but I'm also very aware of when they come the second time because mm-hmm. that really says a lot. What they need to experience to come a second time and a third time are these two things. They need to connect with other people. They need to feel welcomed, loved. They need to feel the Christian love. And to be honest, I can go to a church service and not feel that. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. If you do not connect with people and feel, wow, you don't feel, if you don't feel overwhelmed by the love of the people, that is not, not, not likely going to come back. So the first time you come, I'm going to say that again, the first time you step in the door, you need to be overwhelmed by the love of people. So we need to make that happen. Easy, right? The second thing, and I'm not sure we always realize that, especially with people who are not Christians, they have to meet the Holy Spirit and the presence of God personally. So let me give you an example. Someone comes to a small group for the first time. Obviously, they need to feel welcome. People talk to them. People show them interest. You know, they, they experience a warm a sense of welcoming. But also, and this also goes for people who are not yet Christians, 
um, we always split into into groups of three and four and pray for each other. I mean, one at a time. So, you know, first we pray for you and everyone lays hands on you and then you and then me. Um, come on in. But sometimes we think, you know, it, it would be intuition for us to think that a newcomer, a new person who's never been to church, that they wouldn't like that, right? We would kind of think that. But actually, I've realized, I've come to see so many times, that, that, the fa- that actually when we meet and pray for them, and we ask them, what's going on in your life? Can we pray for you? And we lay hands on them and pray for them, even though they've never set foot in a church ever before. That's crucial for them to come back next time. Because the experience, love, the love of God. We had another guy in our church. He's here at the camp, an amazing guy. Maybe you've met him. He came to our service. I'm sorry if I've told this to some of you before, but he came to our service about 16 months ago. Uh, he, he was brought by a, a friend, a girl, that I think he kind of liked. So he's like, okay, I'll come to church. And as he came in, he introduced himself and he said, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm an atheist. I hope it's okay that I'm here. And everyone was like, yeah, you came to the right place. It's perfect. <laughs> and uh, this is how he tells his own story. He was an atheist. And then somewhere through in the middle of the second worship song, he was no longer an atheist. <laughs> he said, he says, you know, he tells his story, say, God just revealed himself to me. Mm. At the end of the service, we always do this every Sunday. We said, if anyone here who does not yet know Jesus and would like to invite him into your life, is, please raise your hand. His hand went up, received Jesus, and he's been to our church every Sunday, almost since that. I mean, mm. So, of course, he experienced the welcoming, the acceptance, no prejudice, you know, everyone just welcoming him. But he also experienced the presence. And I think if, if people come to our church and they experience these two things, there's a really good chance they'll come back. So I just trying, want to make it really simple. What it, and, and this goes for, uh, this has nothing to do with secular Europe. I mean, this goes for any church, I would say. And it's just important to say this is for us in our churches. Let's not make it more complicated than that. But let's make sure that we put all our energy in people meeting, being overwhelmed by the love of the people, and meeting the presence of God. And it's not as easy as it sounds to facilitate that. But that's what we need to do as leaders. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I just want to go really quickly over this. This is not my main focus. But of course, there are some of the things that we have um, worked a lot with and that, that's part of sort of the model that that we have in, in Copenhagen and, and many of the church plan is um, some of the key elements to a church is to have what we call relevant and high quality Sunday services. I'm just going to skip through this really quickly because it's a, it's a different seminar. Um, but did you know that most people, they decide uh, unconsciously if they want to go back to a church service in, within the first five minutes? <coughs> did you realize that? So the first impression, that's another way of saying it, is really important. First impression is so important. So this, this is things like, um, yeah? The first five minutes of arriving or yeah. after leaving? No, first five minutes of arriving. Many people have unconsciously decided if they want to come back. So how we welcome people, that we have people at the door, that we have good information, that it's clear what's going to happen, that we have a good timeline, that we have maybe, you know, a nice coffee and we've actually you know increased our coffee budget just as a very tiny detail because we thought we can't serve terrible coffee 
Mm. What does that say about us? Mm. You know, just it doesn't have to be the doesn't have to be the most expensive hipster coffee. We can't afford that, but you know, it doesn't have to be terrible either. Mm. So I'm just saying, uh, actually, how we welcome people, how we meet people at the door, very important. Secondly, uh, what what we've always been taught in Copenhagen is this about inclusiveness. So an authentic welcoming, and uh, you know, um, I remember Fleming. You always say we have to be more American. Mm. Do you remember that? You always say that. Mm. That in terms of how we welcome people as Scandinavians and as Europeans, you know, Ricky touched on that last night, we can be very uh, reserved. But if people come into our church on a Sunday, there's no, you know, we just can't be reserved. I just can't sit in the corner mm. and be reserved. I have to be more extroverted. So what I have to, so what we always teach our people is whenever you see someone you don't know, Go over to them and say, hi, who are you? What's your name? What, how, how do you meet the vineyard? How do, how do you know about us? What are you doing in your life? What's happening? Good to see you. You're very welcome. Just very simple. And if three people do that, guess what? What happens? People feel welcome. It's very simple. Uh, it also means no internal talk. We don't talk from the microphone. We don't say anything that doesn't make sense to a new person. Uh, we also uh, have lots of info. If you are new, this is for you. This is how you go about the church. We invite people to our intro group. We give them a gift as new people. We try to explain what, what is the church is about. So all, most of the info is for new people. Uh, and, uh, of course, we don't use any Christianese language. We try to avoid everything that doesn't make sense to a, an average person in our town. Um, quality, it, it doesn't, you know, good worship, that depends on the size. Always, when it comes to quality, it's always size dependent. The bigger you get, the better it has to be. But make sure it's good. Make sure uh, it's it it fits your size in terms of quality. That's what I would say. Same with preaching. That's why when you when you start out as a church planner and you plant a church, there's actually time for you to grow in preaching as the church grows. So my preaching five years ago, I would not impose on you compared to what I do now. I feel a lot better about what I'm doing now, and the church has been growing. Consistency. This is one of the big things as well in services that. Uh, people know what to expect because if I'm going to bring my friend it's so important that I know what will happen if I bring them so if someone spring on them and do a 20 minute long prophetic drum solo in the middle of the service you know um, it's going to feel a little bit awkward you know so it's really nice to know we're actually doing the same thing every Sunday we actually have the same timeline and we're sort of keeping it you know vignette style but we are keeping it and uh, people know exactly, and they also know that at the end of the service, the preacher will say, does anyone want to invite Jesus into their lives? And actually, that's really important, because if I bring my friend, I, maybe, maybe it's taken me six months to get my friend to come. And if I go to Sunday, and then they don't ask that question, you know, it's, ah, worst thing ever. So consistency is so important, but I know what will happen if I bring my friend. And then finally... What about different kind of services? Um, like we have a small, uh, more soft, contemplative uh, yeah. service one Sunday, one uh, regular I mean, if it's clear to people that they know what's going to happen, that's great. But if the contemplative service is not very relevant to people who are not used to going to church, if it's just for the church people, my question would be, why do you have it? Honestly. 
I mean, I'm not, that would be my question. Why? We, well, we actually have, at the moment, we actually have differentiated services. So once a month, we have a morning service with brunch and a lot of kids' worship and all that stuff. And the rest of the month, we have an afternoon. I, I kind of hate that, but at the moment, that's just what works for our church, and it includes everyone. Um, but people know what to expect, again. But, and the services are not that different. They kind of know what's going to happen. And So you evaluate from, is this relevant for a new call? Yeah. Why? That's what I evaluate. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking the church, Sunday is the, is the window of the church, the front door. So if, if it's not, I would say, why? Michael? Uh, yeah, my question has to do with what you just said. Uh, how, how, um, what's the role of this in, in your church growth? In other words, is uh, attracting unbelievers to your services where they then become Christians? Is that the main strategy for growth? Or if not, uh, what's, you know, what's the percentage of people who come to the church that way and right. then you know, by personal contacts and whatever else? Right. Good, good question. Usually, for some people, this Sunday will be their first meeting with the church. Actually, I would say in our church, that is probably the majority of new, newcomers. Uh, some people would, would have other venues to meet the church, you know, we would have things like on a Friday night, we would have a board games night, just people hanging out, have, doing, having fun, playing games and, and drinking a beer and just enjoying fellowship. And then from then, would they, as they meet the people and relate to the people, they would be invited to the Sunday and they would have courage to go. But, but again, I think for me, the, the Sunday service is the front door of the church. That is the front door. That is where, uh, in, a, in an established church, the most people come for the first time. It's a little bit different if you're in a church plant. Um, but I'll get back to that. But I'll, um, I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit more in a minute, if that's okay. Yeah. And finally, what well, we also have found that doing, having social events happening after the service, you know, something going on, communal, communal, that people would look forward to is also really good. It's important that we also always give an opportunity to move into small groups and so on. So we build the community. Have you tried other kinds of service, like more contemplative service? Yeah, it depends on what you mean with contemplative. What, what do you put in that, in that word? Uh, it's more like uh, retreat. Right. You know, it depends on, uh, it really depends on who you want to reach. Because if you have a more contemplative model that maybe reaches a certain uh, segment of people that, that would fit into that, you know, I'm, this, is, this is all independent of styles, really. You see? Yes. So, so uh, it's all about who is your main, who, who are you communicating to? So there definitely would be ways of communicating to certain groups. Like when, when we have kids worship and brunch and all that of course we're obviously communicating to families as the main group and then at other times we do different things uh, and we have some people coming who want to be very on the new yeah they come and sit on the back side and they go before it's uh, yeah exactly then they go before you end and you don't get a chance to talk to them. That's why we, uh, we have a, a coffee break in the middle. 
just, just because then uh, they can't get away. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, after the notices and before the preaching, we just do an eight-minute coffee break, and, and that's the hunting time, you know? Yeah, we have a clock that winds down. Because if it's too long, it's also, it gets uncomfortable. People actually appreciate a break, but if it's 20 minutes, the new guys will be like, oh, I want to get out of here. But it's really important. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you come back to this later, but you have uh, when you have small groups, is that kind of program what, what they do there, or is the growth, yeah. growth process for... Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it's kind of a whole second seminar, cause it, yeah. obviously, but I would love to talk more to you about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, of course, we, it's... But it's the principles are very much the same, community and presence. So we try to do the, try to do the principles the same. And what we do now is we do a group, a special small group for new people that are in our home as pastors. So they connect very strongly with us first, and then we skip them on to other groups and other communities. And that works really well. It works really well. Uh, I'm just going to go a little bit forward because with this... Um, the other thing we talked about was the inclusion. That's another thing that, that has been such a big thing for us as a church. And again, it's, it, it comes from Copenhagen. It comes from, from uh, Fleming's DNA as well. Um, but it's also part of our vineyard DNA that we always say, you know, belong, believe, behave. Have you heard that before? Belong, believe, behave. So we say first people belong. So um, I think it was Wimber who said what, when people in, in the church he was in got really upset about the people he was bringing in, he said... I didn't realize we had to clean them up before we brought them in. I thought we were going to bring them in and then clean them up together. So that's the idea of anyone, anyone is welcome with everything that they bring. No one has to pretend. You don't need to put on your nice Sunday suit. You know, just come. And then we want to say, and also these two are very important, believe is first. We cannot expect people to start behaving in a Christian way before they actually meet Jesus. So that's why we say, come, and then we say, invite Jesus. Do you, do you want Jesus? I say to people like this in our church, I always say, you know, I want you to know that you're always welcome, no matter what your background is. I even name things like, no matter uh, what race, nationality, what social background, economical background, what your sexual orientation is, no matter what your political orientation is, you are so Welcome. You can, you can be part of our church. And I deliberately used that word. You can be a part of this church. But there's one thing you will have to endure. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. Mm. Mm. So that's the contract. So are you saying this publicly? Yes. Through the microphone. Many, many times. So, and then we, have, and then we, tr- we always give an opportunity to say yes to Jesus all the time. Who wants to say yes to Jesus? Mm. But we have someone here at the camp. You've probably seen her in the front row. This is her third summer camp. She's been in the church over two years, and she's still a professed atheist. She's cracking up, but she is. And, and she feels so, uh, you know, part of our church, which is great. Um, and then finally, behave, you know, don't stay as you are and all that. But that's, we, we also, we don't push that too much. We, we trust the Holy Spirit to do that. We encourage people to be in small groups, to be in the community, and to receive prayer and all that. And we, we, don't, we don't really push on that. We, we know that God will deal with people. So, um, you know, 
like I said, this already. This is not just a value about including people. This is really a culture. So this is one of the things that is easiest to lose if you don't talk about it. So we always talk about inclusion. We always talk about loving people. We always talk about, and we always talk with our leaders about going on Sundays to talk to people and you know all of this. Uh, and finally, this is what always so encouraging that the number one feedback we get from newcomers is this: I felt so welcome. And like I said, that combined with actually experiencing the spirit are the key elements. So I just want to move on. And also, um, yeah, so relevant services, the inclusion, and, the, and always give a chance to accept Jesus. But what, we, what I've also experienced in the last seven years is that even if we do all of the above, if we're in a very secular context, uh, it's not actually enough. It's not actually enough. Um, and I'll try and explain what I mean by that in my last slide, and then we'll do more questions. This is the challenge. This is the challenge. So the difference, so we talked about in the beginning, you know, how many percent of the city goes to church, how many Christians are in a certain setting, a secular setting. Why is that even important? You know, obviously you could say, well, if, it's, if there are more Christians in a city, you know, uh, you can, you can quickly get a lot of Christians in your church plant, and it's a bigger church plant. Is that any value? I don't know. I mean, uh, the vineyard in Aarhus, when they started, they had 150 people in their first meeting because that is the Christian city of Denmark. I mean, that's where all the Christians go. And that gives a, lot, a whole lot of other range of problems. I'm sure you can talk to Simon and Anne about the headaches that that gives. So that's not the point, really. The point is, when it comes to raising leadership, because for the church to grow and develop, for us to disciple people, to do small groups, to do everything we want to do as a church, we need leaders. If you've ever been in a missions context, you know this. You know how hard it is to do anything if you have three leaders. You know, you can't have a church with uh, 100 people if you have three leaders. It's not going to. It's not going to work. So you need leaders. And the thing that happens if you're in a context where there are there's a higher number of Christians. The number of people that will come in the door who are already leaders or are almost leaders that you can basically include and then train really quickly and then deploy as leaders, that there's a quite high number of those. So uh, you, you just have a, a much higher number of people that are coming in to your environment that you can very quickly deploy back into leadership, right? So let's just give you a thought experiment. What if you had 50 people coming into your church plant, all of them have no church background, no Bible knowledge, they all have messed up lives, and they all say yes to Jesus. Just think about for a minute how long it would take to get even one leader out of that. I mean, the one Christian leader the way that you think of Christian leadership, right? So, there is a huge challenge, and we've seen that in, in our city. And, and um, we've, tried not to, uh, we've tried not to, what's the word, uh, feel sorry for ourselves. But we have seen that the number of Christian leaders that come and join our church, that we can quickly you know, uh, train and deploy and, and put into leadership and put into responsibility, is very low. Very low. We have a lot of fun people, crazy people, people who are exploring Jesus, 
but, but who do we put in charge of that? And, you know, I hear sometimes, I hear church planners, they're like, oh, couldn't, please, why don't someone move to our church plant? We don't have any leaders. Because they're in a setting where they just don't turn up. I've seen church plants in other cities, in other, in other countries, where, uh, you know, they would have, uh, in six months, they would have 30, 40, 50 competent leaders that were basically joining the church that they would then just have to um, sort of manage. Does that make sense? Yep. So this this is what, this is the huge challenge, really. I think in terms of building church in the long haul in a very secular context, where we're going to get the leaders from. And then this compared with the second one, the, the the second sentence here is: I just read an article a guy called Robert Vico. He did he's done some research on church planting and also why some churches uh, reproduce and plant more churches and why some churches don't. And and one of the conclusions he has he has a number of conclusions, but one of them is. I mean, some of the conclusions are things like actually being focused on church planting and talking about church planting and have a vision for how to do church planting and so on. But he also says one of the main factors, and this is so true for Copenhagen Vineyard, like, uh, which has planted seven churches in the last seven years, this is so crucial that actually for, for church planting to happen, you need to have a leadership overflow. You need to almost have more leaders in the church than you can use. So I don't know what your context is like, but that's not my usual experience. Right? That, oh, we have to have so many leaders, what to do with them? Oh my gosh, I wish we had more ministries. Mm. Is that how you feel? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but in many senses, that is, the, that is the key to growth, and it's also the key to reproducing. And that's so central to who we are as vineyards. That's what we want to do. So these two, A and B, you know, we've been going for seven years now. If you'd asked me seven years ago, no problem, I would probably say that we would have planted another church by now from our church, right? I would probably expect that, um, which we haven't. But it's this tension that has been so um, difficult. So I actually think if you have people with a evangelistic gifting and you, you do relevant services, it's not that hard to get in touch with unchurched people, as we think. I think this is actually often the hardest thing. And this is something that we have been working a lot on this in the, in the last year, year and a half in our church. This is something we've been on a, long, on a journey with. How do we solve this? We need, a, we need a leadership overflow. At the same time, the people that come in... The, through the door of the church are not necessarily, we don't necessarily see a lot. You know, if someone who is a Christian and has just a basic maturity in their faith comes to a service as a newcomer to our church, we're like, yes, we got a Christian. You know, <laughs> where, did that, where did he come from? Or she, you know, it's, it's, it's more like that feeling. So. I just have thought this many years through many circumstances in our healing ministry, healing rooms, and in churches generally, but many times actually, or at least in Finland, Christians have sort of kind of uh, hinder, hinders. What's hindering them to realize that you are called to be lead, yeah. or to be a leader, that there's all kind of wrong thinking about what it is, sure. how it would be that you're sort of to have a, a 
I'm not born to be a leader. Yeah. That's a lie. But how to break that those lies? That, sure. Come on, we are really basically every Christian is yeah. called to be lead. Sure. At some point. Absolutely. And there's a lot of stuff going. There's a lot of stuff going on because of the history we have, and uh, in, in our countries, and also in our just in our Scandinavian sort of culture that, that we don't like leaders. We think leaders are controlling and they're the ones that want to boss people around and they're the ones that have to just, you know, decide what other people should do. And, and people in our culture say, I don't want to be a leader. And if you use the P word, they go totally crazy. Pastor. No one wants to be a pastor. At least not at first. So, so we definitely have to, there's definitely, when we do leadership training, we do a lot of breaking down of those sort of ideas and just say, this is about building the church. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, because if you ask people, do you, would you like to, do you have a passion for building God's church? They're like, yeah. Well, guess what? That's called a leader. You know? So I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Marco? Now you have very little time to present what you, yeah. you know, all, all the things that you have done and all everything that you know. But for somebody who's looking from outside, me, it seemed to me that you have the title missional church, and it seemed to me that your like main mission way of doing mission is that you hope that unbelievers will come to your church building, and a professional will push them over a line. Sure. Okay. And I was just wondering if that's uh, how how that would be like equipping the whole body of God to do the ministry. When I became Christian about 30 years ago, uh, I, I I immediately saw what everybody were doing, and I had been observing that for about three months. When I was I was just basically appointed to a leadership, a temporary leadership position, and so I'm like, oh help God, what do I do? Yeah. I said, well I do what I've seen these guys do for sure. months you sure. know, while I've been a Christian, and so I did it, and that's you know I've been kind of a in a sense like being discipled from the beginning sure. and, and then it's like a natural step if you have a yeah. disciple then you will eventually become a leader or most disciples should become leaders yeah 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 i agree they should uh, definitely <laughs> yeah so how uh, are you doing so that uh, yeah did you all hear that yeah. uh, uh, so so mainly how can, you know is the point to bring people to the service and then the professional can help people over the line so i would say this in, in a church, uh, in, in a sort of average church, about 10% of the people have a strong evangelistic gift. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I believe very much in training people to share their faith at work, to share, you know, to, to, be, to live the kingdom out in their daily lives. And there are some people that have a very strong gifting in actually leading people to Jesus. Just, you know, Sebastian here is one of them. He's a typical evangelist who can talk to anyone everywhere in Danish, English, Arabic, whatever. And so... Um, some people can do that. But then the, the point is this. If, if someone leads their coworker to Christ over lunch, and they then bring them to the church, and they don't have this church experience, they're not going to stay. That's the one point. The other point is most people that are the 90%, when we, when we teach them and disciple them to share their faith, most of them um, even asking... Even... even Asking people to come to the their friend to come to the service is a huge step. So this is like a cooperation between this, the, the individual and then the community. 
So it's not that it's a professional, it's more that we do it in community. That, okay, th this is the contract. If you bring your friend to church, you know, the church will tell them about Jesus. Do you know what I mean? And, and often, also as we gather uh, in, in a gathered environment, also, you know, the presence of God is maybe more tangible and there's worship and there's... So it's more like a kind of a, this kind of a cooperation. But if, if I do spend three months convincing my coworker to come to church and they don't get this church experience, it's, uh, honestly, it's a waste. And it might actually turn them off church and they'll never come back. Make sense? Yeah. No, so, I, so I, I fully agree with you. Know, one, you know, you become a Christian and then this is very important what you experience when you come to a gathered community. I, I'm just wondering, you know, if, you know, well, anyway. So many times people come to church and they're not really, they haven't, they haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, but they are maybe curious. They are maybe what you would call a seeker. And it's just so important that, that uh, we as a church have a, that, that there's a pretty good possibility that someone who is curious and seeking God would actually meet him in church. I think that's so important. So, but thanks for that question. That's, that's great. Yeah. Well, I just had a question. I think, I think this is great. I think it's super important. Uh, uh, I just had uh, all of it. Uh, and rather, and we're, just, we're just rookies in our city. But just, just the thought, or the thought that I've had all, all the time, uh, I'm not saying we're doing it, but I'm just, just a thought. Isn't it part of the answer to this challenge to have, uh, or could it not be, to have a more intentional discipleship process? Because out of disciples, some will be leaders. Not all will be leaders, but mm. maybe some will. Yeah. And of, but of course, as you say, it's going to take time. Yeah. And God will have to do his stuff. I'm just going to get back to that. Yeah. Okay? Yes. That, that's my last line. Yeah. Okay. Did you want to? <laughs> yes. Um, my question was actually, what kind of uh, hints or ideas, or what have you done to lower the threshold of people to come in to church because it's a huge step to come into the Sunday service. Yeah. So you must have, of course, you have the outreach for Muslims and stuff, but what other yeah, stuff we, you do? We, we do things like, like I said before, we do like a board game night and we do things that we can. We're not a big church. We don't have tons of programs. I think it's kind of a, uh, it, it's kind of a dynamic that, that occurs that if people don't feel like they want to bring their friends to church. They don't invite them, you know. And if they don't invite them, no one ever comes to church. So it's kind of like that. I always, it's. Do you know that the people that brings the most new people to church? Do you know who they are? New people, new people. So this that, that that's what what momentum is all about. So once people actually start feeling confident about bringing their friends, and someone actually starts bringing their friends, then they will bring more, and they will bring more, and they will bring more. And that's often how growth. So that's that's why we we have to start making an environment where people actually feel like they could bring their friends before it can start happening. That's what we experience anyways. But I, I always get a little bit worried if we don't have a lot of newcomers for a season because I know that newcomers bring more newcomers that bring more newcomers. So then you have to really push the culture and start challenging people and start doing it yourself, bringing people in. So I'm just going to finish because I, have, I didn't quite get to, I only, I only described the problem. I want to get just to a few of the learnings we've had over the past year or so. Because like you said, Piola, we thought, so this, what would be the, what, would, how, what can we do about this, this problem, the tension between these two? Um, and, and we thought we, we simply need stronger models uh, for raising leaders. And, and I, I, we even realized that Copenhagen and Odense are so different that some of the models we had in Copenhagen were not enough. 
Actually, they were, they were still good, but they were not enough. Um, and, and so in the last year, we have read uh, a lot about discipleship. I've talked to many leaders around that I know uh, about how do we have a more intentional discipleship and, as you said, then disciples often become leaders. How do we change that? How do we do that more? Um, and one, one time in, in the last year, I had a chat with Andy Masters. Some of you might have met him. He's a vineyard pastor in Northern Ireland in a church called Lake and Valley Vineyard. He's a young guy. And he, um, I was visiting his church. We've become good friends. And then he has this amazing team of like five or six key leaders that are basically running the whole thing. And they're all quite young, in late 20s, maybe mid-20s. And I said to him, how did you, you know, because that's what we felt, we haven't been able to quite build that team that we wanted. He said, how did you, where did you find these people? You know, uh, where did you, how did you get this team? They're so amazing. And he, this is what he said, this is interesting. He just said, oh, you have no idea. It's been so hard. There's been so many problems. Mm. They've been tumbling and stumbling and falling. And there's been so, it's been such hard work to raise these guys up to leadership. It's taken a lot of effort. And, and I said, yes, but how do you do it? And he said, you know what? You know what? For years, these five guys, they had a key to our house. And they would be around our house and our family four, three, four, five evenings a week, just, wow. just having dinner and just hanging around and doing the dishes. They would just be in our house. And that's when I kind of thought, huh, there's something in our culture. Because I was really, you know, I was really touched by that. Also, I felt spirit speaking to me. There's something in that. And there's something in our cultures, the way that we live our lives as leaders, that is contrary to that. Do you know what I mean? I, I was just thinking, my key leaders, the people that I really want to invest in, um, do I really, am I really close enough to them relationally? Do I know what's happening in their life? Um, do, do they feel comfortable with me and, and Sarah, you know, um, to the point where they feel that they know their way around their house and, and stuff like that? And, uh, you know, we're different. We're, I'm not Andy and Dana. They're amazing and they're very, they have a very open home. And they have, But if we had people for dinner three or four times a week, we would go crazy. Especially Sarah. She's been more introverted. She would be like, oh, you know, she wouldn't last long. So we have to do it differently. But the principle is important. And so we just decided, you know what, we need to, we need to do things differently. And another thing that I have realized is when I raise leaders and train leaders around me, they're, they're, I, can, I can have two focuses. Uh, and this may be totally basic for you, but for me, it's been a revelation because I'm this very driven, goal-oriented leader. You know, I want to see growth. I want to see people come to faith. I want the church to develop. You know, that's, that's my focus. But there are two ways I can invest in leaders. I can invest in them with the purpose of the church, of the result, you know, the, the church growing. So, so whenever I'm speaking to you as a leader, my goal is for the church to grow and that I see you having a role in that. I can also flip it around. I can say when I speak to you as one of my leaders, my first priority is for you to succeed and for you to grow. And that will eventually lead the church to grow. And I, I feel embarrassed is even sharing this, but for me, it has been a, it has been a you know, uh, what's the word, paradigm shift. So now when I'm spending time with my leaders, 
I am 100% focused on them prospering, growing, developing, that they are doing well in whatever ministry they have, that they are doing well in their spiritual lives, in their lives in general. And we've built up our leadership system around that now. We've changed it all to build up a system that focuses on that. So this is my, my main job in every conversation. Whenever someone goes into a conversation with me and they go out the door, I want them to feel encouraged, built up, closer to succeeding, closer to God, happy, seen, you know, and not anything else. So for me, that's, that's been a big change. And I can honestly say that our, sort of our key leaders, you know, five, six guys that have been, uh, that, that are sort of our team in our church, they've been around our house much more in the last six months than they ever have. They, they, I would say now that they know their way around the house. And one of our leaders, she just told me a couple of weeks ago, she said to me, she was kind of, I mean, they're all, they're all like 25, 26, so, that, so there's some a lot younger, you know. As you all know, I'm 29. Um, <laughs> no, I'm 40 now, so, uh, so they're, they're sort of a number of years younger. But, but one, of, one of our leaders, she said to me the other day, a couple of weeks ago, she said, I don't really see you as a leader. I don't really see you as a leader. And by that, she didn't mean that she doesn't respect my leadership. Or, my, or me being the pastor. What she meant is she sees me as a friend first, mm. as a leader said. Yeah. And that was really, I, I thought, this is, this is what's happened. This is what has changed. Mm. So, so what we've seen now is we've only done, we, we've made a totally new structure that, that's centered around how do our leaders grow and develop more than how do they you know, do the stuff they're supposed to do in church. And, and we've only done it for about five months. And I can honestly say our leaders in the church, we have about 20 leaders in our church. They've never done better. They've never felt better. Mm. Uh, no one wants to quit. No one is tired. Mm. No one is complaining. Mm. About a month ago, some of our leaders that are already having a lot of responsibility, they came to me and said, mm, we thought this church weekend, can we organize that? We'd love to organize the whole church weekend. I thought, uh, really? <laughs> I've never tried that before. Uh, and so people come to me and they, um, they are actually experiencing, our leaders would now say that they're experiencing that someone is discipling them and, they're all, and that they are growing. And that just becomes a game changer. You've been part of the process, Gustav, a lot, been in, in our home a lot. And, and just seeing this difference that it makes. Um, and I've just been wondering, you know, I, I look at, now of course, I look at other churches and leaders that I... That are, that are growing and, and I say they all do this I'm like oh I'm, I'm the slow one but actually I realized I think this is a cultural thing for us in the Nordics okay we have um, this will be the last thing I say then we can do Christians uh, I don't remember who said this but we have in the Nordics we have what we call a non-intervention culture mm. we have we are obsessed with privacy Mm. Would you agree? <laughs> privacy. Yeah. Yeah. Obsessed with privacy. Yeah. And so this would probably never happen in South Africa, am I right, Dave? Yeah. Because people are so much more um, around each other all the time, in and out. In the US, if you got if, if we were in the US, people would just come around our house unannounced. Mm. They wouldn't even knock. They would just all of a sudden people would be sitting in our in, in your kitchen and opening <laughs> your fridge. That's just a normal behavior. Okay? Mm. So, so I've, I've experienced that. So I'm just saying there's something in our culture, just like the welcoming thing where we have to be aware, this is counterculture, we have to go and welcome people and actually smile 
and look them in the eye and say, hi, who are you? Let Tell me your story. That's countercultural. But this is also countercultural. So, and actually, I'll tell you the best part of what we've been doing, having leaders in our home all the time, doing a lot of fun stuff, uh, is that Sarah and I, we enjoy this so much more. We've never enjoyed doing church more. Because all of a sudden, we feel we have a huge social you know, thing happening around us. And, and I love hanging with the young leaders. They, they keep me fresh. Um, so I think that in, in a secular context, this whole idea of discipleship, and not just talking about discipleship as a thing, but really figuring out how do we really disciple people in our contexts. And we start with the leaders and create, create a culture. How do we do that? You know, I mean, because then I, what I'm seeing now is I, I can't tell you, we're, we're, like I said, we're not a big church. We're actually fewer people in our church than we were a year ago because we've had a lot of changes. We're maybe like 60 people in the service. But I've never felt more confident that we're going to grow. This is going to grow because there's beginning to be an overflow of leadership. And we're, we're getting new people to join and no one is stopping. And so um, this, is, uh, this becomes... This, I'm starting to see the dynamic of reproduction where you know, you, uh, it, it kind of grows by itself and it reproduces itself. Mm. And it's a lot less sort of me pushing this, the pedal, you know, pushing the speeder. It's, not, it's a lot less of that. It's a lot more of me just trying to keep you know, investing in the people around me. So I love that. So that's it. So any questions or comments? There's a lot more that could be said on this huge topic, but... This is this is all learnings from lately. When it comes to new people going through a process before they come to Christ, how do you guys just comment on it? Because I think that we've been talking so much about it, we've been doing so much about reaching people that way. Yeah. And I really believe it, but just realize with many comments that we have. Yeah. Being in a process too long for us. Right. Okay, so I think for most part, you know, I mentioned the, the young lady who's been around for all, over two years and still an atheist. I would say that's the exception. Most people, they, if they come in contact with the church, if, if they don't decide in, within a couple of months if they're going to do this Jesus thing, they're probably not going to do it. And they're probably going to leave. And I see there's an overwhelming, statistically, statistically, that's an overwhelming difference between those that do raise their hands on a service you know some I know some people think this raising the hand thing is a bit silly because they're not we haven't taught them much they don't know anything how do they do they, do they know what they're saying yes to all that stuff but but my observation is that people who raise their hands on a service to say yes to Jesus and I usually deliberately use that language I say if you want to say yes to Jesus I don't use long theological if you want to you know repent of your sin and blah blah blah, blah, blah. I say if you want to invite Jesus Raise your hand. And the people that do that are the people that tend to stay. Mm-hmm. The people that don't, they, if they never do that, usually after a few months, you don't see them. Yeah. So that's one thing. Another thing is, usually people are, and, and all evangelists will tell you that, usually people are much more ready for Jesus than we think they are. So I remember at least one time, I remember in a small group, so I would do this kind of thing, in a small group, we were having a regular small group, we had someone there that's not really a church, church person, and, and we're talking about different things and, and this person is sharing about 
how they how he I think it was a guy he believes in in uh, reincarnation and saying all kinds of you know weird out stuff and then 30 minutes later we're sitting in a small prayer group three four people and I just had a sense you know I just, I just felt you know God speaking to me and I said and I asked this, this guy I said do you know what have you ever said yes to invite Jesus into your life and he said no I said yeah would you like to do that now we could do that now and he said yeah I think I would and we just the three of us three of us put our hands on him prayed and you know invited Jesus into his life you know so, so again it sounded like this person was like way off and we needed to have three alpha courses and, and all that stuff but, but for most of our you know most people who say yes you have no idea what they're getting into mm-hmm. and, and it takes years to get to figure out what you're getting into and most of us haven't figured it out yet what we're getting into right mm-hmm. so I'm just saying give people an opportunity yeah. to oh, say do you want to say yes to Jesus right now give them that choice and, and when they've had you know a number of choices. Uh, most people they they'll say yes or they'll quit. Great, thank you. Yeah. Anything else, you guys? One last question. So where do you meet? We actually have a building now that that we that is our building, uh, something a place that we rent, but it's it's ours. Uh, before that, we we were in a sort of a house that is owned by the commune. It's a like a culture house, really nice place with a professional setup and so on. So, so we have a really nice place now that that's really cool. And um, is it more um, so the commune house was very unique now? It's more traditional church building, is it? Well, it's a traditional vineyard church building, so it's an old warehouse <laughs> with, with carpets and you know. It looks it looks more like a more like a concert place or you know, just it just if you've ever been to Trent Vineyard or one of those kind of places or Copenhagen, it's the same Middle East. You know, we, we we joke about how if you have a vineyard church, it needs to be in a warehouse, obviously. So I'm asking because since you you been towards this attraction and inviting people to services, and. Uh, what makes people come? What makes them curious about coming? I think that's part of, might be part of it as well. What do you think? Why people come? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. And 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 I, I know you know some people say that some people see um, they see the attractional model as opposed to the missional model, or you know those kind of ideas. I I am um, for me it's a, it's a little bit. Constructed to do that because I, like I said before, if you go to the street and convert someone and they come to a, a lousy service, what what what's that going to do for you? I mean, boring, long, uh, whatever service. Whether you're not welcoming, you're not focusing on newcomers. That doesn't make sense to me. On the other hand, of course, if you have amazing services and no one ever invites anyone, that doesn't really make sense. So we want to do an attractional missional church. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's also the legacy we have from from Fleming from Copenhagen. That's what we've always done. And and why do people come? You know, sometimes I'm like I have no clue why they're coming. But you know, uh, and it's not that people are flooding into the church. But if you, um, but like I said before, I think the best key is that new people bring new people. New people bring new people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, that does that make sense? Yeah, but uh, I yeah. don't think you're really. But yeah, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. That might be the best answer. We don't know why they, they are coming. And 
Well, it's a, I think I think the best answer would be that it's a culture. So we talk a lot about inviting, and we talk a lot about bringing the kingdom to our friends. But for most people, like I said earlier, that the the capacity uh, or the way that they work is that they work in collaboration with the church. So they go out, they talk to their friends, they invite them, and they bring them in, and then we help them meet Jesus together. That's how it works for most people. So, yeah. Do you want to say I just absolutely fantastic teaching. Uh, in terms of having an inclusive service, uh, just a few points that yeah. we have been correcting the last couple of years. We've been preaching way too long to, to, to include for us, to, well, too long was 45 minutes was way too long. Mm-hmm. So we got the, I have the privilege of having to serve together with two new pastors, very young. And they said, we've got to cut it down to 25 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's one thing we've corrected. And also yeah. the coffee breaks, they're scary to some people. They yeah. don't know what to do. Some, some would go to the bathroom to do something or send the iPhone. We can't have that too long. And another thing in terms of being inclusiveness, uh, some, uh, one thing that even leaders uh, seem to neglect is the, uh, is the necessity of constantly uh, building con- uh, culture from in, in, in terms of what speed or announcement. You know, you can't you constantly keep yourself in terms of we want to be an inclusive church, this yeah. means yeah. You know, go and make a fool of yourself too. Yeah. If that's necessary mm-hmm. to meet someone you always yeah. constantly do that. So if somebody had a sermon in our church about the father's love, the prodigal son coming home, and uh, he forgot to mention what our vision is as a church, because I mean, was a wonderful, wonderful sermon. So why did you make, why didn't you mention that we are a church that wants to include the Bible? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So and, that and, mistake is and you would probably also, if someone preached and, and they didn't at one point get around the gospel, you would probably also say, what? where was the gospel? Did we forget that today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I want, was it, did you have Yeah, to? well, I, I just, uh, I probably got the answer from you, but uh, I was wondering uh, the correlation of how just people dropping in and coming by invitation by friends. Mm. The majority comes by night. Yeah, but some people would find us through, you know, uh, it's, it's really important also to have a great website and, and be able to be findable. Because you know, some people will move to the city, maybe they're foreign students, whatever, looking for a church. We, we make sure that they can find us. And so we do have people that also come and just kind of looking for a place. Uh, so, but, but of course, um, if they are invited by a friend, there's also a lot, a lot bigger chance that they would stay. So can I just say, if you if you want to go, you're totally released to go. It's a quarter past, but I would love to do more questions if you have any. Uh, but I'll totally go. I think it was a lot. Uh, uh, in the inclusive service, do you use um, family language? I mean, there's uh, a different way to speak about yeah. becoming a father and who are we and, yeah. and how you, do you put into words some family stories? Great question. Uh, I, I totally understand. And what we do is we also try to sum up who we are every Sunday. So, so yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. We are we found organic gatherings that uh, we were getting more people at the store. Uh, heavily smoking. Yeah. So 
in the middle of our meeting for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we would, what we would do normally is we would, uh, after the worship, we would sometimes have a testimony. We would, I would love to have it every time, but have a testimony. Then after that, the meeting leader would say, welcome again to this Odense Vineyard and welcome to you guys who are new. And, and then he would say, Odense Vineyard, you guys know it, you can rehearse it in sleep. You know, like Odense Vineyard is, is a church. We're kind of an untraditional church. We're, we, and you might use language like we're, we're just a family of people who are trying to find out what it looks like to, to follow Jesus in our time, in our day. And if you want to join this, you know, want to be part of our community, you're very welcome just to come and be part of the process and figure out no matter what your background is. And so we would say that every Sunday as kind of an opening before we do the announcements. And we would we would often use family language, but not always. Try to phrase differently. Did you? Uh, what do you comment on that? About yeah. The family uh, expression that it can uh, have, it can give people some expectations. Sure. So it can be complicated to say we're a family because then people can easily get disappointed. I know. But instead, uh, showing them that we are family and they will feel it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. sometimes I think we would probably more. I would probably more use the terms like we're. A community or a group of people that are just trying to follow Jesus and exploring what it means to be a Christian in 2019. You know that kind of language that that shows that tells what we are and not saying, not using isms or we're uh, evangel we're an evangelical church of whatever. So that doesn't say anything to any person. Who was someone here? Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about your city in the beginning. Yeah. The secular environment. And- um, how much you do, uh, or bigger question, does churches in your city do something together every now and then? Or do you meet uh, pastors from different churches yeah. every now and then? Yeah. Uh, what is the, I mean, the vision for the city? Yeah, we, we, synergy. Good, good, uh, good question. We have a great uh, fellowship as churches and as pastors. We, we really love each other and, and know each other quite well. We meet for breakfast once a month. Yeah. and pray and share life and and, and so uh, I, I've always valued that and again uh, Fleming has always taught us like really like keep good relationships he's always been you know make sure you keep good relationships he's, he's very good at that very good at networking with other Christians and so um, that, that's uh, we've always done that and we don't do I, I'm not so much into doing you know lots of cross church like worship meetings or whatever I'm, I'm always like why why are we doing it so, for example, one thing we're doing this fall in September, we're going to do a welcome to Odense for all the new students. We're going to do that together as churches. So that all the churches going out and sort of welcoming the students on the streets and stuff. That kind of stuff makes sense to me. So we have a great um, relationship. It's very important. And also because we are, we do feel like we're on a bit on the front line in our, in our city. So we feel like, yeah. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome to go. If you one last question. Sure, sure. How big is your church now? You have what, what, we're, we're about 100 people, and we're about 60 on a Sunday now. Yeah. And uh, we were actually a little bit more last year. So, but, um, but we're doing good. It's a good, it's a nice church. Thanks. Thank you guys for coming. You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website, vineyardnordic.org.